Uh, it's a lovely day out there, so well done for being in here doing something far more important. Uh, and thank you very much for having me. Um, so a little bit about me first, and then I'll start to talk about some of the work that I do and the way in which I engage and some of the lessons that might be useful for you. Um, so I am a historian at the Institute for Government. I'll come on to what that, that is uh, in a minute and what kind of work we do. My background, I uh, did my PhD at Queen Mary uh, in and around the same time as Andrew, actually. Um, and uh, it was actually on the Cold War um, and British intelligence, but uh, with a sideline of interest in, in Whitehall history. And I came to the Institute for Government uh, just after having done my PhD, initially to do one piece of work to look at how the civil service and political parties prepare for changes of government. Um, it was a time, 2008, 2009, where it looked like the possibility of a change of government was going to happen, and the realisation, particularly in the Institute for Government, but not really anywhere else, that no one's really looked into that kind of area, and that actually it's quite fundamental for how we do deal with changes of government in this country. So I was brought in as a pure researcher to go to the archives, to look up the files, you know, try and distill some of that really dusty history. Um, but then I got the bug. I got the bug of engagement because as, the t as it all started to build up towards 2010 with the possibility of a hung parliament, the opportunities for engagement just got greater and greater and greater. And I was very fortunate to be at the think tank at, at that particular time, being able to get asked to go in and engage with uh, Whitehall civil servants and talk to them about what lessons from history, being asked then to go and do media to talk about what are the lessons for a possible hung parliament, and just seeing that interaction between what is pure history um, done for an academic purpose and what is history for an audience that just needs either answers quickly or just needs explanations or just really needs to have some kind of framework for thinking about what's going on at the moment. So I stayed, basically. Um, now, the Institute for Government is a very interesting place. It's only actually, I'm, I've been there seven and a half years and it's only about seven and a half, eight years old. Um, it's a bit of a different think tank because it tries to look at the problems of how you do government, so not uh, policy in the sense of the politics of it, uh, but just thinking about some of the nitty-gritty issues. Um, and it's been a really great opportunity for me. I mean, I'm now called resident historian there, but it did start off, they called me pet historian and tame historian, um, because it, it embraces a range of disciplines. So some of the work will be social science, political science, um, some of the work will be economics, and some of the work will be from a humanities background, including my history. But as I've spent time at the Institute, I have um, been able to expand the role and the importance of history, both for the other projects that my colleagues do to help give them some kind of context, some kind of framework for when they're coming to a new thorny problem in government where I know that it's been discussed before, I know where there's other sources they might like to go to, or there's other contexts that they might like to think about but also and what really motivates me is looking at the history of government of Whitehall specifically uh, and trying to then convey that to current practitioners and to the media and to get a better engagement between academia and government on all those sorts of issues. And it's really important at the moment. Um, turnover in Whitehall tends to be quite high in jobs. People can be there for less than two years in one particular job. Um, there's sort of turnover of staff.
staff, there's been big changes in the last five years in terms of the um, people going in and out of the civil service. And all that means that institutional memory tends to degrade. It's made worse by the fact that we no longer have a sort of paper file system that used to exist 30 years ago. Emails, electronic files, all of that means that people find it very easy to get things quickly, but it's very superficial. So that depth of knowledge, that depth of understanding isn't always there. And so it's created a bit of a demand opportunity for historians and for me to work on. So that's basically what my role is now. I've, we've, we've developed this role of fellow in the Institute for Government. And I've developed my role in particular as historian at the Institute. It allows me to do academic research, some deep research. At the moment, I've been interviewing former permanent secretaries. We've managed about 50 of them, nearly 60, actually, um, in order to do an in-depth academic study of how that role's changed over the last 30 years. But at the same time, some of what my role there is is more towards consultancy, as I say, talking to colleagues, sometimes getting phone calls from government, sometimes from the media. Um, we also do quite a lot of learning and development. So we might have uh, either politicians or officials coming into the organization to think about their own roles, think about the organizations in their work, thinking about teamwork, um, the sort of opportunities that aren't really there in government sometimes for the kind of learning and development work that's important in any kind of organization. And again, history is really important to that. They want to know the background to the organization in which they're working, or if they're working on reform, to hear the background and how reform has occurred in the civil service over the last 30, 40, 50 years, provides them with some food for thought for getting those really good debates going. Sometimes uh, my role can be just question answering. Yesterday we had Sky News uh, ringing up to ask sort of thorny questions about past budgets. Um, and it can be just literally that. You're an addition to Wikipedia for them. Um, sometimes you decline to, to engage. Sometimes I pass them off to other academics that I know who are much better suited to answering these questions. Um, so impact and engagement is central to my role. Uh, and it's a really important part of the Institute for Government. Working in a think tank is slightly different from academia in as much as that is your primary purpose. Um, it is to help make government more effective. And so whilst at the same time I'm thinking about the academic context for the work that I'm doing, where does it sit in the canon of work, you know, what's the sort of intrinsic value to it, where am I filling gaps, where am I looking at new sources, new information, things like that. At the same time, I'm also somewhat driven by demand, by the issues that are currently going on in government, and thinking about what that interaction is, thinking about how history can be relevant to today's problems. So I see it as, you know, massive benefits from that kind of research that I want to transmit. We did a piece of work recently on women in Whitehall. A lot of studies of Whitehall over the years have, because uh, it's a very male-dominated institution for many years, have had male-dominated accounts of that history. And so we wanted to look afresh at the period from 1979 to 2010 and think, okay, well, what was happening to women in this time? How was diversity being tackled? What were the experiences like? And what are the lessons for today's Whitehall as it seeks to tackle diversity on a number of fronts? And that was really great. I mean, it was fascinating research to be able to do anyway, and the stories that we heard were great, um, sometimes a little bit worrying. Um, but it was also really, really great to then get the engagement afterwards. I've done a number of presentations with women's networks at Civil Service Live, various different departments. 
departments, talking to them about that history and then getting them to start thinking about how relevant is it today? How much are these problems still there? How much do they have a long-standing sort of historical um, you know, embedded nature that means that they're really, really thorny issues to tackle. And also, what are the lessons that they can take away from the way people have tried to tackle this in the past that show that you've actually got to keep trying, that show the importance of leadership, that show the importance of ministers. So being able to take that kind of knowledge of other people's experiences help people today think about it in terms of their own experience. As I say, some of it can be uh, demand-led, so some of it's not about what the I've done. It's more about my general knowledge and expertise. And that might be, again, going to talk to people about reform initiatives and how they work in different parts, how the organization of Whitehall sort of fits together. Or it might be specific historical periods. The moment, obviously, 1975 gets referenced a lot, but I keep trying to reference other periods in time at which the, the history of what's going on at the moment might be relevant. Um, so all of this makes it a kind of mixed bag. I mean, I was saying to Lucy, whenever I get asked, what, how's it going, what are you up to at the moment, I have the same answer, which is, well, I'm trying to do this big piece of work, but then I'm getting pulled around. I've got a meeting with so-and-so. I've got to go and do this small piece of work. I've got to blog on something at the last minute. I mean, my day can be thrown apart when something happens and we decide, actually, there's a blog on to be written here. But the same is true for academics anywhere where they're trying to do that kind of engagement. Uh, and the media pool, that can be very interesting. As I say, it can be very random questions. We did quite a lot of engagement in the run-up to the last election, talking again about hung parliament and the possibilities there. Um, and it was fascinating going around, even before um, the election itself, briefing and helping media organisations to think about what are the issues that they might be tackling on the night. And I was just getting asked scenario after scenario of you know, what happens if, uh, which got completely balmy after a while. The, the, the best one I got was um, along the lines of what happens if the Prime Minister dies and there's a nuclear... I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does, this, you know. Um, so it can be, yeah, it can be a bit um, interesting, shall I say, that, that engagement with media. But it's also fascinating, and it teaches you a lot about the nature of engagement and how to, to what are the challenges there. Going on um, sort of TV and radio today, news nights, uh, or the news channels and stuff like that, you have to think quickly about how to synthesize knowledge, how to get to the heart of the issue, what are the examples you want to get across, or the anecdotes, or the quotes, or whatever it might be, but also getting in there. I, I always, my, my, whenever I'm doing something like the Today program, I always think, right, I've got three things that I definitely want to say. And frankly, that's about all you'll get. You might get three questions, and that's it. Um, so it's being clear about what's, what's the kind of hook. And also, they're always looking for a line. So sometimes it's about rehearsing to know what's the best line that they'll then be able to use. Because if you say things in a very sort of caveated, convoluted way, it's much more difficult for them to be able to synthesize down. So some of it is about transmission, about articulation, and things like that. Um, but the other thing that I've learned, and we say this whenever we're doing similar engagement uh, discussions with people, is a lot of the time, both from the media and from policymakers, what they're looking for is not necessarily a piece of research. They might sometimes. They might want to be exploring a particular issue and hearing what's the research, what are the sort of pros and cons, what's the evidence base. But a lot of the time, what they're looking for is experts. 
They're looking for your broader knowledge. They're looking for the context in which your, your research sits. They're looking for how you can take not only the deep area of research that you do, but also relate that to, to other things around it or to similar examples or whatever. They're looking for that kind of expertise. The other thing uh, that I have learnt is obviously the importance of knowing who to speak to, networks, engagement, getting out there, getting your voice known, um, being visible. Uh, again, always say to people that being on the first page of Google if somebody's looking for a specific topic is very important. In fact, um, Andrew and I sometimes compete on certain issues, Fixed Term Parliaments Act or um, the uh, role of Parliament in decisions to go to war, although I would um, probably uh, give it over to him on that particular question. Um, but knowing who to speak to is important. Getting those networks, Twitter, social media, all that kind of engagement. It depends what you want to do with it, but getting that engagement is really important. What's more difficult is seeing the direct causal chain to impact. Um, and with REF, I have to do my own case studies on the impact of my research. But it is quite tricky to be able to show that causal link, particularly if you're doing history. Um, because a lot of the time what you're providing people is context, is perhaps a framework, is for sort of ways to understand political tricky problems. Um, and that can be quite difficult. Now there are certain types of engagement which you can show footnotes, that might be speaking to a select committee, or it might be getting in a House of Commons library report. But most of it is about helping them frame their understanding of it. Um, so... Yeah, lessons basically, hopefully we'll discuss this a bit more, but it's getting known, being flexible in terms of being able to engage yourself. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know that. I can try and find out for you, or I can tell you somebody who might know it better. It's, it's one of the worst things to feel as an academic, is being able to, having to say, don't actually know that. But if the questions are that random, or they're moving outside of your areas of expertise, sometimes you just have to do that. Sometimes, though, you do know it, or you know more than them, and you know enough to be able to give them that little bit extra knowledge that they're looking for at, at the moment. Um, and then also, it's not just about trying to sell research, but it's about that desire to engage, that desire to be part of conversations and to be part of uh, public policy engagement in a wider sense. And for me, that's the most interesting part of the job that I do and the bit that I hope other people also find enthusing. Anyway, I'll leave it there. <laughs>